Welcome to the Christmas Eve service for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. Every year, on December 24th, we have a candlelight service in the evening. This is the sermon from that service. Our first scripture reading comes to us from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6 and 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be an endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our third scripture reading, it comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. It says that in that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people, To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. 
Our fourth scripture reading comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 11. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may too go pay him homage. When they, heard, when they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to begin tonight by saying one more time, Merry Christmas. And I have to say, you know, every time I get up here every year, I'm amazed at how many people actually come out to this service. And it's not that we do a bad job. I mean, you all have done a great job. I think we put on a good service. But I think the reality, right, particularly in American culture, is that Christmas is really mostly a day for people to get together with their families and exchange presents. And the religious implications, for the most part, have just been pushed aside. And I know this will sound hard to believe, but I've actually met people who literally have no idea that Christmas is about Jesus' birth. Like, they've never made that connection, like, no concept of it whatsoever. And this was not a child either, because you can give a child a pass, right, on that? Like, my kid, I have two, I have two kids, three and six. And the six-year-old, he barely understands. He was in the pageant. He barely understands that this is about Jesus. He, I, you probably know more. I'm a pastor, right? So, like, I should tell him a little bit more about that. But the fact is, right, my fault for that one. But the fact is, like, he doesn't get it. And you can give a teenager a pass on that, too, because teenagers can be oblivious to it as well. But when you meet a full-grown adult who thinks that Christmas was created by the government in order to boost the economy you wonder whether we're going to make it as a species. Like, honestly, you wonder how far we're going to get. Like, there's a tipping point, right? Because it's in the name. Like, you can only... So, I sit there, and I'm not one of these pastors who's like, put the Christ back in Christmas. Like, I don't say that. But I explained to this guy, I was like, the name Christ is in Christmas. And he said, well, that's really interesting. <laughs> I, I never noticed that before. Like I said, tipping point. We might, we might already be there. But you all are here, 
And so clearly you understand that there is some connection between Jesus and Christmas. And so what I want to spend our time doing this evening is I want to talk to you about the significance of this particular celebration. What does it really mean? What's the importance of it to you? And in order to do that, I want to turn to the scripture we read from the Gospel of Luke. That's what we're going to primarily look at today. Now, that scripture, if you were looking, it starts off by saying that Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, they're making their way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Now, I know you can't really read that, what it's saying, right? But basically, just trust me, the circles are where they are, right? So that's a pretty long distance that it says that they're traveling. And the reason why they're going from Nazareth down to Bethlehem is because it says that there was a census being taken in the Roman Empire. Now, if this was a normal Sunday morning, I go into why that's actually very historically inaccurate and, you know, why that's actually, there's, like, it's all messed up the way that he puts it out there. We're not going to worry about that tonight. It's late. I'm sure you all don't care that much about whether it's historically accurate or not. But just know that part of it's not quite right on. So what we are going to focus on is the story that is put out there by Luke. And so what he says is that Joseph needs to make his way back to Bethlehem because, according to Luke, you need to be back in your hometown to be counted in the census. And once they get in to Bethlehem, what happens is that Mary goes in to labor. And this is what it says. Let's take a look at the scripture that it says right here. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now what do you imagine? when you read this particular verse, right? You probably imagine a Christmas pageant, don't you? Okay, so you imagine the kids, right? They're Mary and Joseph, and they're going from door to door, and they're knocking on it, and they're saying, is there any room at the end? Is there any room at this end? And there's no room, right? And so what happens is, because they have no place to go, Mary ends up giving birth in a barn with a bunch of animals around her. That's what we take away from this verse, right? Normally. But I would like to suggest to you tonight that actually that's not what Luke intends by this particular verse. And the key to it all really resides in that word, in. So that word, in, it comes from the Greek word, kataluma. And it can be translated one of three ways. So one way is in. You can absolutely translate it as in. But also you can translate it as dining room. And finally, guest chamber. Now, if you have ever seen a house in the Middle East an ancient house. They actually kind of build them the same way today that they did 2,000 years ago. What you would see is that the main house that most people could afford, it has a singular room. It's basically this one big room. It's where they would cook. It's where they would live. It's where everybody would be. And then off to the side, you can see that there's a stable. It's an indoor stable. And the reason why they had that is because you want to bring your animals in at night so nobody takes them because that was very common. You leave your animals out, they will maybe not be there in the morning. So you bring them in, and then there's a wall that separates the main room from the stable. And they put a trough on the other side of the wall, or a manger, so that if the animals got hungry at night, they could eat from that trough. Now, if you had a particularly large family and you could afford to do so, you would add on a room to this main structure that was called the cataluma. So this is the 
guest room, the guest chamber that you're adding on to it. So I think what Luke is trying to tell us in this particular story is that they come into town, Joseph goes to his house, and there's all these people there because they're there for the census, right? And normally when she goes into labor, where would she go? She'd go into what? The guest room to have some privacy, but that's, there's so many people, the only place that she can give birth is literally in the living room, and then the only place that she can place this kid, Jesus, is literally in the trough, or the manger, which is right there in the house. You following me so far? All right. So that's part one of the story that we read this morning. Now that we have a little bit more context on that, you can kind of see where that is. This leads us to part two of the story. Now in part two, what happens is there's some angels. They come down and they start talking to some shepherds and they tell them that Jesus has been born. In order to hear this the way the ancients would have heard it, you have to understand who shepherds were back in the day. So shepherds were some of the roughest, dirtiest people that you could find. These are people who spent their entire day herding animals. So these people are not part of the social elite. They are not refined. They don't have a lot of education, if any. So the question which is raised here is, why does the angel choose to speak to these shepherds? And I think that there's two reasons for it. The first reason is that Luke wants to introduce a sense of irony, because if you understand shepherds, they're out in the fields all the time with these animals. They're the last people to hear about anything going on in the world, right? Like everything happens in the urban center, and then like a month later they find out that it occurred, because they're literally out in the middle of nowhere. So for the first time, these guys are in the know. They actually know about what's happening first before anybody else. The second reason why Luke portrays an angel speaking to the shepherds is because he wants us to understand that Jesus is going to be a shepherd to the average person. The Messiah, right? That's what we call Jesus. He's known as the Messiah. That just means king. And the way most people imagined a king was that this king was going to service the elite because kings were usually wealthy. But what Luke wants us to understand is that Jesus is going to be a king for the common man, for the downtrodden, for the least and the lost, which makes him unique. And so the story goes that the shepherds, they find their way to Bethlehem, and they find Joseph and Mary, and of course they see Jesus laying in a manger in Joseph's house. That's very important, right? So we got the whole thing set up. Do you see where we are? You with me so far? I know it's late, but are you with me? <laughs> All right, good. Good to hear that. Okay, so now that we've laid the story out, that's essentially what the story was that he was telling. I want to focus on one detail of that story, which I think is particularly significant for us tonight. It's what the angel says to the shepherds. He says, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you has been born tonight in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now the way the angel characterizes Jesus' birth, the angel says it's good news of great joy. And I think that word joy is actually really important here. Because tonight is about joy. In our culture, in American culture, when we use the word joy, we use, usually mean it as this feeling of 
bliss or extreme happiness. You will hear parents say of their children both seriously and sarcastically, they're a bundle of joy, right? My kids, tomorrow morning, once they get up and they get all sugared up, they're going to be a real bundle of joy, let me tell you. <laughs> First four hours are going to be fun. So, what we mean by that, right, is that our children bring us what? Extreme happiness, a lot of happiness. And so in our culture, joy and happiness are synonymous with one another. But if you go back and look at the roots of these two words, you realize that they're talking about two very different things. And I'm not going to bore you tonight with a lot of Greek roots, I promise you, but I've got to talk about two. I've got to talk about the root of the word happiness, and I've got to talk about the root of the word joy. So happiness, it comes from the Greek word makarios, and it refers to two different types of circumstances. The first type of circumstance has to do when you're a person of wealth, and you can be free from all the cares and worries of the average person. Since there were very few people in ancient Greece who had wealth, this type of happiness really only applied to a small fraction of the population. The second type of circumstance that this refers to is when a person experiences a stroke of good luck. Like you received some money that you hadn't expected, or you were sick and you had a turn of good health. Now this is much more universal in terms of what we've all experienced, and really it has to do with unexpected good fortune. By contrast, the word joy comes from the Greek root Cairo, and it actually is best translated as culmination of being, or good mood of the soul. Joy, in Greek, really they believed that it only came from God and that it was the result of the accumulation of virtue and wisdom. To make this a little clearer for you, the opposite of joy in Greece was not sadness as it is in our culture, but fear. Because sadness to them was an emotion, but joy is something deep inside of you, and fear can be the exact same thing. So, the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness is something external to who you are. It's external circumstances affecting you. Whereas joy is something that's found deep within your being. And I know you might be sitting there, because if I was sitting where you are, I would say, okay, I don't really care about the difference between joy and happiness. Like, really, what difference does it make? And actually, I want to tell you, I think it makes a big difference. A big difference. Because it actually impacts the way that you live your life. So, that word happiness, when I was talking about it, it really relates to things, money, and comfort. Happiness is when your external environment provides you with pleasure. And I would say that for most people, Christmas is about happiness. Would you agree? Okay, because Christmas, what happens? We get gifts, and those gifts make us happy. You all know what's going to happen, right? Tomorrow morning, right? You're going to get up, and you're going to get a gift, and you're going to unwrap it. And that gift is something that somebody picked out specially for you. And once you open it, it makes you feel really good, doesn't it? That somebody cared enough about you to actually do that for you. And that's a great thing. It's wonderful when somebody cares about you that much that they went out of their way to get you a gift. But that feeling, how long does it last? A couple hours, maybe if you're lucky, a couple of days. And then what happens? It goes away. That's a temporary feeling, right? 
It's not something that can be sustained indefinitely. And yet, there are many people in our culture who have convinced themselves that they deserve to be happy all the time. They want every day to be like Christmas, where they're opening presents, right? And this mentality, it actually has a huge, huge impact on your behavior. Because if you think you deserve to be happy all the time, then you will do anything to ensure that you remain happy. I remember when I was back in Pennsylvania at my last church, I was counseling a woman who was having some marital difficulties. And she came to me, and as we got into it, I realized that the issue that she was talking about was that she had to work at her marriage. This was new for her, that she actually had to work at it. And the way that she put it to me, she said, it used to just be so easy. We didn't even have to try. But now I just feel unhappy because, you know, he used to light up when I came in the room, and now he barely notices that I'm there. And so I tried to explain to this woman, I said, you know, well, the fact is, A, marriage takes a lot of work. B, marriages shift. Relationships, you all know this, right? It shifts and changes over time. She didn't want to hear it, though. She's like, eh, we'll probably just go get a divorce because it's my happiness that matters. And I was like, what? It's your happiness that matters? Like your husband's just some thing that you can discard with when it no longer suits your needs? He's not a phone that you trade in at the store for a better model. I mean, what about the consequences to your family, to your children? But she didn't want to hear about any of that because she was so focused on being happy that she didn't care about anything that got in her way. And whatever was left in the wake, whether it be her children, her family, whoever, it didn't matter. And this isn't the only place where this happens to us. This isn't the only place where we see these type of behaviors coming out. I, I see it in people who buy things all the time. I used to be this way. I was really materialistic for much, much of my life. And I needed things to make myself feel happy. I remember always looking forward to buying that next thing. And then there's people who they lose themselves in alcohol drugs where that feeling, they need to have that feeling all the time. It's the same root of the materialism thing. It's no different. Same root. You want to feel happy all the time. I see it in people who go out and they eat too much. You know, that you get three meals a day and yet you eat far too much because it just makes you feel better. And so we end up in this situation where we are searching to be happy all the time and will do whatever it takes to remain happy. And far from discouraging this type of behavior, our society very much encourages us, doesn't it? Very much encourages us to try to seek out those things that will make us happy and to get rid of those things that make us unhappy. We will destroy relationships. We will spend huge sums of money. We will give up everything that is most dear to us, as long as we are happy. And the problem with this is that we are going after an elusive goal. We are going after something that does not exist because it is impossible to sustain happiness for that long. And so when I see somebody doing this, because I did it for a lot of my life, I sit there and I say to them, you're going after something that doesn't even exist. But if you replace 
that desire for happiness with joy, then you find something out a little bit different. Because joy, that's something that lasts. Joy is something that can fill those empty spaces of your heart and can actually make you feel like you don't need anything else. What do we sing? We sing, do we sing, happy to the world, the Lord has come? Is that what we say? No, we don't, do we? We sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Because tonight is about joy. Joy because we know that through Jesus we can actually find joy in our lives. What does joy mean? Again, do you remember? It's culmination of being, good mood of the soul. It's something that you find deep within yourself. Joy is the result of your connection with God. And what Luke tells us in the scripture when he portrays those angels talking to the shepherd, basically what he's saying is, I bring you what? Good news of great joy. And we as Christians, what we believe is that through Jesus' birth, anyone, if they so desire, can have a connection to God. And that connection can give you something in your soul, a contentment that will never leave you, and that empty, lost, hurting, sad space in your heart, that can go away. And so tomorrow morning, when you wake up to celebrate Christmas, I hope you will realize that Christmas is not about something external. It's not about this temporary happiness that we get from opening gifts. It's about something much, much more important than that. It's about understanding that we have these empty spaces in our lives, and we have to fill them with something. And our society tells us that we should fill it with temporary happiness. But Luke reminds us that God sent us something, this little baby boy who wants to fill those empty spaces in our lives permanently with joy. So may you know the joy of Jesus' birth in your own lives. And may Christmas represent a day to you where you make a choice not to fill those empty parts of yourself with temporary happiness, but with the joy that comes from the love of God. May you have a Merry Christmas and Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.